Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. Hello and welcome to How to Be Fine. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jalenta Greenberg. In each episode of How to Be Fine, we weigh in on what's happening in the world of happiness, health, and betterment, and we offer a bit of advice to those who want it. Now, full disclosure, we are not psychologists or psychiatrists, but we are experienced self-help critics. We've lived by the rules of nearly 100 self-help books for our other podcast, By the Book. So we've tried on almost every kind of wellness trend out there, good and bad. And besides, we're not here promising to make all of you the best, richest, happiest versions of yourselves. If all goes well, we'll just help you feel a little closer to fine. Alrighty, Jolenta. We have a couple of terrific advice letters to get to later in the show. But first, as usual, let's kick things off with our hot topic. And yeah, yeah. you have got one you are pretty excited about, right, Jolenta? Oh, yes. This hot topic, although maybe today we should call it a cool topic, is ice baths. A very cool topic indeed. Mm -hmm. I have shivers. I oh am so gosh. excited to hear about this. <laughs> so I don't know about you, Kristen, but ice baths are all over my social media. Like people are constantly plunging themselves into giant like metal horse troughs full of ice yes. water. I recently saw a girl on social media climb into what looked like just sort of a tall blue recycling bin, like climbing on a chair to get up into Ugh. it, just full of ice water. Everyone's in ice water. It's my daily ice bath. Happens right here. Real ice. Getting to the sides. Just got to break it in the morning and then uh, go in. I have seen this everywhere. I, I can't escape it. Everywhere I look, it is there in my mm -hmm. social media feed. It's there in newsletters. It's all over the place. Friends are talking with me about ice baths right now. 
Right. It's Lizzo sharing videos of trying an ice bath. The other day, a friend of mine was posting about a yoga ice bath class she took in the Hudson Valley and how amazing it was. Oh, God. (laughs) So obviously, I needed to figure out what the fuck ice baths are all about. So here's the basics of how ice baths work. According to the leading ice bath method creator, a Dutch athlete named Wim Hof also known as the Iceman, because side note, he does extreme sports in the cold, like hiking Kilimanjaro in shorts and running a half marathon above the Arctic Circle barefoot. I have no desire to ever do that, Jolenta. Yeah. I am not going to do that. But enough about me. Back to Iceman. You never have to. Um, But here (laughs) is how the Iceman says you should take an ice bath. You need to gradually acclimate yourself to cold exposure with cold showers or ice baths. And to do so, you get the temperature down to anywhere from 60 to 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So basically anywhere from chilly to freezing. And you breathe deeply and you slowly submerge your body. And once you're submerged up to your neck, you keep breathing deeply and you stay in the water for anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes. And apparently, if you make this part of your weekly health routine, you'll see tons of health benefits like weight loss, increased energy, and more that we will get to in a minute. But first, let's figure out where ice baths came from. Polar bears. Uh, I wish. <laughs> I do have to say I was very surprised with what I found. Turns out people have been taking ice baths since ancient Egypt. What? Yeah. The first mention of cold water immersion dates all the way back to 3500 BCE. There is an ancient Egyptian text called the Edwin Smith Papyrus, and it mentions cold baths being used for therapeutic purposes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So this is not hundreds of years old. It's like over 5,000 years old, this practice. Yes, very old practice. And it seems like throughout history, ice baths or cold water immersion always seem to be tied to health benefits or at least perceived health benefits. The Greeks used a cold water dip to just sort of relax and socialize. Think, you know, public Greek bathhouse, lounging, chit-chatting, a quick dip in the cool pool. And as healthcare evolved, so did the ice bath. By 4th century BCE, the Greek physician Hippocrates wrote about cold therapy being used for fever and pain reduction. And there's even archaeological evidence that suggests that gladiators in ancient Rome used cold baths after training to recoup. Yeah, you know, after you're done murdering all your friends, sometimes you just need to relax in some ice. After you survive (laughs) getting attacked by a bear or lion, you're like, ooh, I'm sore. I need an ice bath. (laughs) so fast forward to the 16 and 1700s we're still using ice baths primarily in bathhouses and spas for their healing properties there's a flyer i found referenced in a scholarly article Uh, the link will be in the show notes this flyer is from 1722 and it's on the history and benefits of cold baths and it claims that icy plunges can successfully treat nightmares, leprosy, plague, female complaints, hysteria, oh, yeah. gout, constipation, blows to the head, cancer and even flatulence. Apparently I need this because I am a female and I complain sometimes. Yeah, and I also I fart. <laughs> So let's fast forward once more, Kristen, to present day, and let's look at the Iceman's website and see what he says some of the benefits of cold water immersion are. 
He says better sleep, boosted immune system function, higher energy levels, arthritis relief, migraine relief, improved metabolism, improved creativity, Lyme disease relief, and greater peace of mind, to name a few. Apparently, we think cold water immersion can change everything. But can it really? What are the actual benefits of ice baths? Cold water immersion does cause blood vessels to constrict, which reduces inflammation throughout the body and can lead to reduced muscle tension and pain. Ice baths also raise your heart rate because the cold shock to your body activates your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight response. And this activation increases blood flow that can help with heart and lung health and has loosely been proven to help with immune function as well. Oh, and the fight or flight response also causes the body to release norepinephrine, which is a hormone that can lead to feelings of euphoria. So that that's fun. I don't know, Jolenta. All of these things also sound like I could get them from smoking or being in a stressful situation. Right. I was like, also like eating chocolate <laughs> leads to a feeling of euphoria for me. So yeah, like, like yeah. doesn't smoking constrict my blood vessels? Right. It's like the thing is, is on the flip side, <laughs> that same shock to your system can induce panic attacks and can cause cardiac arrest if you have certain heart or circulatory system issues. So before you try an ice bath, please go get it cleared by your doctor. Also, cold water immersion is not recommended for anyone who's allergic to extreme cold, which is a thing I believe you know about, Kristen. Yes, that is a real allergy that I have. I have cold urticaria. Allergies to the cold are real. Yeah. So there's some more science that says ice baths aren't all they're cracked up to be. I like that you said cracked because a lot of these people in the videos literally crack the ice in their baths before they get into them. Yep. Yep. If they have baths that are like outside in the freezing weather, they like crack this giant layer. It's very cool to watch. Back to the studies. A study in 2017 found that ice baths may not be the best way to recover after physical exertion and that a cool down on a bike can offer a similar benefits. And a recent study that's often pointed to as the reason ice baths ease depression is a study that's actually about how ice baths reduce pain level in chronic pain patients and thus their moods were elevated. So the study proved that ice baths directly reduce pain and that can indirectly reduce depression. So basically, it seems like ice baths are something we have been doing since forever. Based on what I saw in my research on the recent history of ice baths, clusters of studies on the subject seem to pop up every like 15 to 20 years. And now assuming we study what's in the zeitgeist, like what's popular, ice baths are basically on trend every like decade and a half or so. Just think back to the last time like getting cold was cool. And it was those (laughs) cryo air chambers in the early 2000s that all the like real housewives were going to. Oh, yeah. I remember those. Yeah. Yeah. It sort of looked like a weird like spray tan booth, but it was like a blast of cold air instead. It did. And then you know what happened, Jolenta? Korean spas and hot tubs became all the rage. Right. Then we went hot again. Then we wanted (laughs) saunas. Then we wanted hot tubs. And now it's 2023. We've cycled through again and everyone is experimenting with a more sort of DIY, easy to do at home during COVID quarantine version of ice baths in these like giant tubs and troughs and backyards and bathrooms. But the benefits are not as great as claimed. And you can get most of those benefits by doing some like relaxation, some deep breathing, a light bike ride after a heavy workout. Like you can get it all without being really fucking cold for five to 15 (laughs) minutes. 
But I do have to say, like, it is cool that these ice baths on a regular basis help people with chronic pain and depression. So, like, I'll give them that. So you can see a little sliver of good in there. You're not totally on board. I'm guessing that means you are not going to do this and you've never tried it before. I have definitely never done an ice bath and I don't know if I will, but I have done like morning cold showers back when I was probably like a freshman in high school. So like what, 14, 15? I was very obsessed with Katherine Hepburn at the time. Uh, Still am in my heart. And she always talks about and writes about like starting the day with like a cold swim or a cold shower. And so I wanted to be just like her. And I was like, I can do that. And so I started doing a cold shower in the morning or like trying to. And I fucking hated it. (laughs) Maybe it was the morning part. Like I hate waking up in general. And then like my incentive is like a torturous shower. I wasn't on board, although it did leave me feeling invigorated whenever I tried to, like, turn the dial towards cool in the shower. It was very like, woo. I'm awake because I'm being tortured with cold water. You got (laughs) to rush. But, like, I didn't notice that many health benefits. Granted, I wasn't that great at doing it. Also, who knows how observant I was as a freshman in high school. But, like, I didn't love it. And I don't think I can be convinced to do, like, an ice bath class the way they're kind of in right now. But, you know, never say never. I feel like those golden age of cinema superstars, those icons, I feel like that was another era. You know how this goes in cycles? I feel like that was an era that was really into Mm. ice. I remember Joan Crawford, they even reenacted it in Mummy Dearest, how she started off each morning just just putting her face in ice every morning. Yeah, like literally in ice, not not cold water, in ice. When they talked a lot about like constitutions in medicine, yes, you know? Yes, yes. So I, I think it just, it goes in cycles. And those glamorous ladies of the silver screen, they were into it. Yeah. But I'm not a glamorous lady of the silver screen. And as we've already mentioned, I'm allergic to cold. So. Oh, right. So you're not going to be taking an ice bath. Oh, no, no, no. Not not unless you want to like then take me to the ER immediately and hope I start breathing again. Yeah. Not going to work for me. Does it seem worth the effort to throw you in an ice bath? I'll look great, but I'll be dead. Not worth it. (laughs) (laughs) But listeners, enough of my thoughts on ice baths. Tell us what you think. Are you a fan of ice baths? Are you doing them often? Have you tried them and hate them? Write to us at kristenandjalenta at gmail.com or write to us at our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Kristen Angelenta. All right, we are going to take a quick break, but when we're back, a listener asks for help with her partner who struggles with adulting. All right, it is time to get to our first advice seeker of the day. Reminder, listeners, if you want some advice, you can always reach out to us at kristenandjolenta at gmail.com. Jolenta, I'm going to read this first letter, and I am dying to know what you have to say about it. Our letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, what kind of understanding or accommodations are reasonable for a neurodivergent partner who struggles with adulting? I've seen a huge rise in social media posts to the tone of, you're their partner, not their mom. I am not sure this is always a fair take, but interested in hearing your opinions. 
My male partner is great in all kinds of ways and very kind, but legitimately struggles with household chores. It wouldn't occur to him to change the sheets, for example, or to clean up the toothpaste goop at the (laughs) bottom of the cup. If something needs fixing around the house, I have to be the one to point it out and create an action plan. On the flip side, he cooks often, does his own laundry, and is very good with tech and finance. How do I navigate this relationship with understanding and compassion for his limitations while still feeling like my needs for an equal partnership are met? Oh, that is a tough one. That's such a tough one. I so feel for you and with you, letter writer. I think so many of us deal with this, especially women who are partnered Mm -hmm. with men because of uh, Mm -hmm. how we are socialized (laughs) with these fun little gender roles. And it's even harder to navigate when we're dealing with people who are neurodivergent, which a lot of us are. My partner and I both uh, have been diagnosed with ADHD, and I I struggle with a lot of the same things as you, letter writer. It's the whole like mental, emotional load of like... As a society, we're conditioned to believe that women are fine with and should be in charge of sort of keeping that mental like task list going, that punch list of all the stuff that has to get done in the house, all the doctor's appointments the kids have to go to, plus like maybe that one for your husband too, you know. We just keep it all running just in our heads naturally, easily. But that's not the case. It's a difficult fucking job that's almost impossible to do on your own. And we need our partners to help out. And we want to feel like we have a partner and not an adult child that's like really eager to please, but also like can't do shit on their own. And my partner's super similar. Like we have similar issues. You know, I have been the one primarily in charge of all the mental labor that involves keeping track of household chores. And it sucks because you want to accommodate your spouse. You want to be understanding because they're neurodivergent, but you also like don't want to feel like a mommy who like gets fucked. You know what I mean? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And something you said there really stood out to me, Jolenta. You want somebody who helps, but I would say you don't want someone who helps. You want someone who's equal. I don't want your help. Like, that's like saying, I want you to help with the kids. It's like, no, you're the other parent. You don't help with the kids. You want to do your share. Exactly. And so, I mean, one thing I have found that doesn't really steer us away from the whole, like, juvenile aspect, but does help, is uh, trying to make things a game, especially when you're working with, like, neurodivergent brain pathways. Like, it helps to kind of trick yourself or your partner into doing work. And games can be simple. Literally, we have a game in my house called Clean As You Go. And it's just remembering like, oh, don't put it down. Put it away when you're done with it. Like, oh, if you use that flour to bake, don't just leave it on the counter all day long. Put it away. It's not a game, but it sort of feels like it the way we talk about it. And that makes it like more enjoyable. And it makes it easier for him to remember, to be honest. Also, one thing that has really helped me feel not like my partner's mommy are joint to-do lists. Like you can share a to-do list on your iPhone and like my husband and I just have a rolling grocery list. I can pop what I want on. He can pop what he wants on. And when he goes, we don't have to have a big discussion about how like I hate that it's my job to know all the groceries we need to get, even though it's his job to go get them. 
We just know, like, it's all on the list. Also, shared calendars help. Like, just knowing that you can look down at your phone and see what the other person is up to. It gives my husband an easier idea of, like, when I'm busy, when he shouldn't come to me with these mommy-type questions, when he should, like, think for himself a bit more. And it helps sort of take the responsibility of even having to say, like, I'm busy right now off of my shoulders. Those two things have really, really helped me feel like less of a caretaker and have helped him sort of like pick up equal share and equal just sort of mental awareness of what's going on in the house. Yeah. And I have to second everything you're saying here, Jolenta, as far as like sharing the communication, sharing the tools, sharing the responsibility. And I'd also add sharing what each of you expect. Like, you know, what is it that each of you want out of your household? What is it that looks good to you or that drives you nuts? And to sit down together and determine what those goals are together. That way it's not one person's expectations and the other person thinking like, what is she thinking? What does she want from me? That way there's no mind reading, but you've decided together what the expectations are for your household. And maybe in some cases that's going to be a little bit more of what you want. Sometimes it's going to be a little bit more of what he wants. Maybe you're the kind of person who usually wants the sheets changed every week. Maybe he's fine doing it never and you can like compromise and say once every three weeks we wash the sheets. Whatever it is for you that maybe you can compromise, but come up with those expectations together. I love your gamification of cleaning, Jolenta. I'm a big believer in that, too. Sometimes just like, all right, I'm putting on a song, Mm -hmm. and we're all going to clean as much as we can for one song. That's a great one. And maybe that's just like putting the dishes away. Maybe that's folding up all the blankets on the sofa. Maybe it's, you know, uh, spraying down all the mirrors in the bathrooms and wiping them down and shaking out a rug. You can do a lot in one song, (laughs) actually, to make things feel a little bit less cluttered. So the gamification I'm a big believer in. But also I'm a big believer in finding solutions that work for people's tendencies that are easy. So, Jolenta, as you know, in our house, everybody is a hooker. Nobody is a hanger. I have tried to get people to be hanger people. They're not going to put their coat on a hanger. They're not going to do it. They like a hook. They're going to hook it on the back of a door. They're going to hook it on the side of the sofa. They're going to hook it on a chair. Well, if you refuse to use hangers, we're going to rip out all of the rods and the hangers that are in our coat closet, and we're going to replace them with hooks. And that's exactly what we did. And now everybody hooks because hooking just meets people's tendencies. So I would say, what are people's tendencies in your house? Is it that they're never going to put the blanket on the back of the sofa at the end of the night? Well, Maybe you're a basket household and you have baskets that all the blankets go in. That's where all my piles are. They're not on the floor anymore. They're just in a cute basket on the floor, but they're still a pile. That's the secret. Yeah. You know, and that may apply to shoes too. Some people have a very organized shoe rack by the front door. Other people I know just have a basket of shoes and that's fine. So think about what works for you. Think about what's easy and what works to your tendencies and to your partners because why make it harder? Make it as easy as you possibly can. Just toss it in a basket or on a hook. (laughs) Oh, and one last thing I'm just going to suggest, and this is if you can afford Mm. it. I know some couples that do this, they have decided it is worth the expense for their happiness to maybe once a month or once a quarter pay for a housekeeper. And that helps them keep the peace. If you can afford it, if you think that's worth prioritizing, 
I know that for some couples, that's really made things better for them. And if that's something that you can agree is a good right. fit for you, that might be worth trying totally. as well. Take it off of both of your plates. All right, we are going to take a quick little break. Coming up, a listener wants help finding a new therapist. Hey, everyone. We are back with our second letter of the day. Jolenta, take it away. All right. Our letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, I would really welcome any thoughts or tips on changing therapists. My therapist was in network and now is out of network. Based on cost, I have chosen to find someone else, but I'm quite disappointed about it. It feels so intimidating. Starting therapy and finding a good fit was so hard to begin with, and it took me two years before I finally even did it. I had to identify and reach out to 20 practices. Only a small number even had openings. And then I did phone calls with two. So doing this process all over again feels tiring. Second, I also don't know what this change process feels or looks like. I feel like my therapist already knew my history so well. We worked together for a year, and I'm thinking this new person won't know me, and I have to rehash all this stuff to even feel connected to them personally. But I did that already. All of this is preventing me from even starting to look for a new therapist. It's been around three months since I've had an appointment. Oof. This is a tough one, but Jolenta, I know that you have lots of advice oh, yeah. in this area. You've seen therapists for longer stretches of time than I have, and you've actually had to deal with therapist handoffs. I've had to deal with this letter writer's exact scenario where a therapist I had been working with stopped taking my insurance and I had to switch. And I'm currently going through this a bit because my therapist I found after that therapist that stopped taking my insurance is retiring. and Oh no, Jolenta! It's destroying me. I love her so much. Oh God. But I got to find a new one. And the first thing my current therapist told me that really helped sort of alleviate some anxiety is that you can ask your old therapist to do a handoff. Most of them will. And they will literally talk to the next therapist you think you're interested in seeing and give them sort of a case history of you, what you've been working on, what you guys have been working on together. And that can help sort of fill in the gaps and alleviate some of the stress you feel going into an appointment being like, great, I have to lay out my whole life again in like a 45-minute hour-long session. I have to cry all over again. and ugh. I have to get all my issues on the table in all of their nuanced forms. And I have found knowing that my therapist is even just willing to do a handoff has decreased some of my anxiety. So I definitely recommend asking about that if that's something that's sort of gnawing at you. And like, it is hard to find a new therapist. <laughs> It sucks. My current therapist is trying to help all of her clients find new people to see. And even she has been like, um, it's kind of tough out there right now. Even therapists that do have openings, you're not guaranteed they take your insurance. Even ones that do take your insurance may kind of have met their quota for the people that have your insurance that they're willing to see. Like there's so many aspects about like just getting connected with one, let alone finding one you like. And it can take a long time. And 
my therapist laid it out like this to sort of help me, which is like, you know how some workplaces take months vetting candidates and doing interviews? The process of finding a new therapist is like that. You're not like finding your next allergist where it doesn't really matter if you click that much. Like this is like finding your next coworker you're going to sit next to for possibly years. So like, even though it's tedious and annoying, if you think of it as just you sort of vetting someone that you're going to work closely with, it kind of helps shift the vibe for me a bit. Or if you think of it like dating, you know, Mm -hmm. even though it's a bummer and tedious sometimes, like you want to make sure there's a real genuine connection. So you're going to shop around a bit. You're going to date around. You're not going to like settle down with the first blind date you go on. So thinking of it as more of like finding a relationship as opposed to finding another practitioner has sort of helped me deal with the fact that this is a process that can take longer than like a week or two. Also, one more thing I've found is that more therapists are willing to work remotely and practice standards have changed where like people are seeing practitioners who are in their same state, but not in their same city. So you can also look a bit more outside of like your initial city, if that's what you're looking at. If you're willing to do telehealth, you can find therapists that are a bit further away that you wouldn't necessarily drive to, but that do maybe take your insurance or work with people who specialize in something that you're looking for. So you can also sort of expand your little search bubble. I have found that helps. Jolenta, that is all great advice. And I just want to add a couple of things here. Your therapist can also give you advice on other therapists to reach out to. You can say to your therapist, I've really enjoyed this aspect of our therapy. Do you have somebody else who specializes in that? Or I've gotten so much out of therapy with you up until now doing this approach. I would like somebody next who can be a little bit more prescriptive. Could you connect me with somebody in your Rolodex who could do that? Because your therapist, you know, they don't want to just leave you hanging. No, no. They don't want your progress to just go down the drain. And a lot of therapists know tons of other therapists, therapists who they trust, therapists who, based on treating you, they know would be a good fit for you and so on. So ask your therapist for advice of other therapists. Um, That's true of a lot of things in life, by the way, too, like whether it's a dentist or a home repair person. If you trust that person enough, you can ask them for advice. Who should I go to next? Do you have somebody you can connect me with? So that can make it a little bit easier, too. Totally. They're a resource. They want to help you. It's their job. Yes, it's literally their job to do it. And one other thing, as you are trying out these other therapists, don't be afraid to just say out loud what you need from the therapist. If you are somebody who at this point needs less exploring, you know, why, 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 and a little bit more of action, 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 you can say to them, I need more action items. I need more prescriptive advice. I need less looking back at why my mom makes me upset. You know, you you can actually say that to your therapist. Like, this is more of what I need at this point. Is this something that would be possible if I were to work with you long term? You can say that out loud. You should say that out loud, in fact. Totally agree. So hopefully that will help you in your search to find a new therapist, letter writer. Good luck. And that's it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge thanks to our amazing production team at Stitcher, Nora Ritchie, Chantal Holder, and Casey Holford. 
Reminder, you can always weigh in on the conversation or send in your advice questions at our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Kristen Angelenta. Or you can email us, kristenangelenta at gmail.com. If you haven't already, please rate and review us in your pod player. And of course, tell a friend about the show. We're friends, you're friends, we're all friends. Share the word among friends. Until next time, I'm Jalenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And until next week, stay fine. Stitcher.